listening to Buena Vibra with Dr. Ortiz. The content in this podcast is strictly informational and does not substitute psychotherapy treatment or replace the process for clinical diagnosis or psychological prognosis. Hola, Buena Vibra. This is Dr. Ortiz. Welcome again to another episode of Buena Vibra with Dr. Ortiz. Today, I am really happy to introduce to you Dr. Angela Clark, a licensed psychotherapist based in New Jersey. She is founder and CEO of Clark Associates, L uh, L. LC. <laughs> um, she is also a consultant, a speaker, an author, an influencer, clinical supervisor, and a leader working with underserved and marginalized um, communities. And she also specializes in the treatment of Black and Brown women with uh, who experience acute and chronic trauma. Dr. Angela, welcome. Welcome. Happy day to you. How are you today? I am doing well this Friday morning on (laughs) my end in California. (laughs) How are you doing? Um, I've had a full morning already, so I'm good. I am up and ready. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being, you know, taking time out of your busy day to, um, you know, come together and talk about uh, the amazing work that you do day in and day out. Um, and and one of the things that I wanted to start with was giving us a little bit of information and bra- uh, background. <laughs> into your um into your 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 uh specialty and 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 what do you do oh sure um great question to start off my um time with you so i have been in the mental health field for more than 30 years i want to say i always say more than 25 but it really has been like 30 i started out very early in my career working with young people little people age 6 to 13 and at that time, there were we used to have residential facilities. And so they were as young as 6 and 13, out-of-home placements. And I did a lot of work with young, young people, probably the first 10 to 15 years of my practice. And over the last 20 years of my practice, I've worked more with adults and young adults, so more like 18 and older. I've always worked with marginalized communities. I guess I'm just kind of um, assigned to that population because wherever I go, um, there is that population to meet me and me to meet them there. But primarily, currently in my private practice, I am working with Black and Brown women who are dealing with everything from relationship stress to grief and grieving to acute and more chronic trauma. And these are professional women. Some people think that they're not, you know, they were people who are destitute because we say marginalized, but no, marginalized in the sense that Black and Brown communities traditionally, historically, have not had access to quality services, particularly with people who look like them. So they're, as a group, as a group of women, as a group of Black and Brown women, um, they are folks now who can take advantage of mental health services. And we are really continuing to work hard to eliminate that stigma around that and that whole um, construct around the strong black woman image and Mm -hmm. that is perceived as a weakness if you ask for help. So a lot of what I do is create a space really for that conversation, those kind of brave conversations for black and brown women. You know, you you said a lot and it's all that, you know, 
relevant and valid, especially today in society. There's a lot of emphasis and focus, uh, more so, uh, I think it's a positive, in the Black and Brown communities. Um, Women, especially because they are, we, I mean, us too, we're included in this group, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. you know, doing more, wanting to be seen and really breaking glass ceilings and stepping into sectors that historically were either impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or very, very difficult with so many limits um, Mm -hmm. placed. Um, So I'm curious, you know, um, in the work that you're that you are doing with um, uh, with women who are um, go getters, um, you know, and 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 continuing to break these ceilings and um, and have a lot of stigma and a lot of stereotypes too that you know um, that that we have to carry that black women have to carry mm-hmm. as well, unfortunately. How do you begin? What are some of the things, I guess, some of the themes that come up for some of these women? Man, you hit the nail on the head. This population, you're right. These are our executive leaders, our C-suite women, our um, uh, corporate leaders, ministry leaders, whoever, a population that would normally be very discreet, sometimes in private, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're the high achievers, right? So they are the high performing and high achieving. So some of the things that come up that I've been working with is high functioning depression and anxiety. What does that look like? You know, that you function well in your job and in your career for the most part, you function well. Um, But if people didn't know you, they would not know that in your private time, you struggle with depression or you are very anxious when you're on the job, you do a good job, but you're very anxious. So you may overcompensate in some ways. So I deal with depression and anxiety, um, trauma in the sense of um, sometimes racial trauma. So microaggressions, the macroaggressions, the biases are huge right now for women who are trying to break through this glass ceiling. Um, There are so many narratives that are changing for Black women who are, the higher they move up the corporate ladder, it seems the harder it is emotionally to keep up with what is coming against them. So they have earned these positions and they've been promoted. They have done the work. But on the other side of that, maybe people or groups who do not respect who they are because of the color of their skin or their gender. And so they're fighting so hard to stay in their positions, not because they're not doing well, they're doing phenomenal, but emotionally it's so taxing to hear the slights or the insults or being overlooked for certain positions or promotions. And then this whole uh, myth of the work-life balance, which mm-hmm. I really work with them to say, well, yeah, you can't balance. They're, they're, that doesn't exist. It, it, it can't. But I say we can look at alignment. What is an alignment with, with your functioning and your energy and with what the demands are of your job and then your life? And we look at like work-life integration. I think I'm helping them and myself too. The language has to change because there is no such thing as work-life balance. It just doesn't exist. Balance means something's equal Mm 
um, or close to equal and that these kind of positions, these women are working 14 hours a day. So that doesn't leave much left for self-care mm. or really relationships. And I'm glad you mentioned that because even as I'm hearing you speak and you know all of this time, effort, energy placed into these corporate um, high-level positions, um, something's got to give. Right. And oftentimes for women who are who have worked really hard, I mean, you know, you you don't just go, you don't just land a position, <laughs> you know, in the corporate world. Oftentimes, I mean, you I guess you could, um, but most of the time, it's a lot of hard work, really focused and very dedicated. Mm. And you know, as I'm hearing you, I'm thinking of just, you know, um, Latina women too, you know, of like how difficult it is to have certain conversations with family, you know, or how difficult it is, how difficult it could be, um, you know, to uh, be able to have a healthy relationship because of whatever those roles um, historically have been or um, traditionally or culturally should look like um, may not meet those standards. And so the women that you're working with, what are they typically saying about their personal lives and relationships? Wow. You got that you hit that on the head, uh, Dr. Millie, because they outperform, not all. So I don't want to make generalizations, but I'll tell you right. with the women that I work with and even some of my friends. Mm -hmm. They're outperforming the men who they would desire to be in a relationship, meaning they are meeting men who don't necessarily have advanced degrees or work in corporate settings. They are men who do well, but people might say, oh, they wouldn't see you with them. You're this high performing mm -hmm. executive and maybe he's working at the gym and he's a gym owner, but they do well in a relationship until, right? People bring attention to, you know, you're this and he's here. How do you make this work? Mm -hmm. And it can be a lot for a woman to have to figure out how to answer that question time and time again. Yes. But also then there are some women who do struggle with that. They, they do want someone on their level and they're not meeting that man. They are meeting men who are different than the people who would be the executives or the, the corporate, you know, big wigs or, or in some way, um, salary wise, higher to where they are. They're just not meeting those men. So when you don't meet those men, one of the things they're struggling with in a relationship is how to be okay with and make sense of, he may not be who I thought I would want, but I really do like him. And mm -hmm. we have fun together. But always in the forefront or back of her mind is, can I have a future? Can this really work with this guy? Mm -hmm. Because they continue to see themselves moving up this ladder and they don't see that this person can handle that particular lifestyle. So they're constantly in their mind juggling choices around relationships. And so that leaves some making poorer choices in relationships and others choosing to just write off relationships altogether. And then what does that lead to? Loneliness. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it almost feels like 
you're damned if you do and you're yes. damned if you don't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 again, it just, you know, with for generally speaking, you know, um, for Latina women, I mean, I think especially um more so come uh, being uh first generation born in the US mm. where there's still a lot of um, traditions and cultures being held from country of origin, mm -hmm. some of those expectations could be, um, well, are you going to have kids? You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're 21 years old. You should have, you should be married. You should have kids, you know, or if you are not, you know, if, if you're 30, then there seems to be even more pressure and anxiety from the family that gets um, carried over to women, Latina women of like, um, I should have all of these things and feeling like you said, like, um, it's not a balance. There's never really a balance, but having to choose, you know, and, and sometimes those choices are not fulfilling, mm -hmm. um, ending up choosing someone because, they're meeting someone else's expectations. Like, oh, this is someone who wants to get married and this is someone who wants children. And I guess I need to have children and, you know, putting off their careers um, to be someone that they don't feel is them, you know, mm -hmm. missing a part of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so in your work with, you know, these women, you know, we're saying, you know, that the, there really isn't a balance, right? And so it, it sounds more like a mental, it's a state of mind, like happiness is a state of mind, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, so this balance mm -hmm. sounds like it has to be a state of mind. And so this maybe look different for from one client to another, yeah. right? Um, mm -hmm. But what are some of the, how are some ways that you know, for our listeners who are, you know, who maybe are women or are men who are with women who are, you know, these entrepreneurs or, or, or these leaders in, in their communities, like, what are some maybe things to consider for themselves or, or, or navigating these types of romantic relationships? Yeah, it gets pretty creative when it comes to that. Many yeah. of the women that I'm talking to have resorted to online dating. They have the same struggles that women who aren't in this position do, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the sites that they go to have the same good guys or not so good guys, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, and they have good dates and they have horrible dates. So that doesn't change no matter who you are, I don't think, in terms of our choice and our pool of people who are on some of these sites. Um, and it goes back to the same thing. It's like, who are they choosing based on what they have to choose from? And sometimes, again, they feel very limited in their options and they get frustrated and then they don't want to do that anymore. I really encourage women in the pursuit of relationships is, are they also managing the relationship with self? So I say a lot and talk a lot about self-care, prioritizing their wellness, and not so much in this pursuit of these relationships, but allow it to come, right? 
like I feel like there's all these women I heard these lion tamers are just going after all these men out here trying mm -hmm, to catch them mm -hmm. and I'm like sometimes <laughs> in that pursuit you're exhausting yourself and you're frustrating yourself and I say take a step back sometimes um and just focus on self and in that sense I said when you focus on self and you're not looking for love sometimes love finds you and so mm -hmm. sometimes it's helping them to be patient most people say, yeah, you can say that because you're married. And when I say to them, I'm like, I think you think that marriage is easy because it's not. There's a lot mm -hmm. of work in this. And so I can only speak from my perspective about that and what I'm working with in marriage. I'm speaking to you about what would help you from what I can see as a single woman. Mm -hmm. And right, I can't, I've been single, but in, and not in this day and age, things are so different now. But I go back to, but the one thing that's universal, where we're, whether we're married, single, divorced, or widow, is self-care and the relationship with yourself. How well are you taking care of yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually, and socially, and relationally? That's just one part. But I know everybody desires love. Um, but in that struggle, sometimes we lose our sense of self. That's beautifully said. I mean, I think even as I'm here, even as, as I'm listening to you, the things that come to mind is that when we do better at taking care of ourselves and prioritizing ourselves, we get to know ourselves better. So we're able to define, you know, our value system, our principles, what are those things or those qualities that really matter just as a whole, just as a whole, as far as how you want to carry and live your life and who are those individuals or what is the quality of those relationships that you want to have. And when you take the time to get to know yourself when you take the time to, um, I guess, be okay with who you are, mm -hmm. um, then it's easier to open up to others because you've already accepted yourself. Mm -hmm. And that takes me you know, that, that has my wheels turning because <laughs> and it makes me <laughs> think like how much of this is also self-inflicted. We want it all. And, you know, in the process of like, we have it, we, we have to have it all. We want it all. We need it all. Mm -hmm. We self-sabotage. Yes. Yes. I talk about that often. It's something, and because you and I as clinicians, we recognize that when I bring that up with them, they don't see it until we make the connection that it's self-sabotage. Um, there are times where I have to help them to see that. Like I'll say something, an example might be around how they keep picking the same person, the same kind mm -hmm. of person, mm -hmm. knowing that it has not worked out for them, but they keep picking the same person. I'm like, I'm kind of curious about why we're in the same place again. You already know where this is going to go. And there's something that comes around this fear of commitment. And I said, well, that makes it really easy to, to continue for you to buy into your fear of commitment and live that because you keep picking the same man who is emotionally unavailable to you. You know that because you're dating them. They're not responding to texts all the time. You set up dates, they cancel them and they tell you they're too busy or they're working or they just kind of ghost you, but yet you keep pursuing the same person. And I'm thinking like, what is that about? Mm -hmm. And so when we get into the nuances of it, then they start to look at 
their behavior because often they're looking at his behavior or right. her behavior, the other person's behavior, and they're not looking at themselves. You know, that is so true. And, and, and that's often what happens, right? The things that I talk about with clients who are seeking fulfilling relationships really good at what they want from the other person. And oftentimes mm -hmm. it's reeling them back in and saying, that's great. You know what you're looking for, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but what are you willing to give? Yes. You yes. know, like, yes. what are you, how are you going to contribute to the relationship? Because this is not one-sided. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the relationship relationship means that at least one other person is included <laughs> mm -hmm. right right exactly yeah. <laughs> right uh, unless you're having that relationship with yourself which is a yes. self-growth and you know prioritizing yourself the relationship mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. uh, but if in relationship to others you have to take them into consideration and and what are you willing to how, how are you willing to show up what are you willing to give mm -hmm. and I, I believe we all have gifts. We all have mm -hmm. internal gifts. You know, we all have um, uh, offerings, you know, um, that we can share with others. And the way that I pose it is you don't want to share those gifts with just anybody. Mm, I love that. Yeah. You know, that's precious. Yes. If you were yes. to visualize your, visualize your mm -hmm. gifts, how, mm. what do they look like? You know, are they gems? Is it like the clearest, most purest crystallized water, mm. you know, in a, in a beautiful vase, you know, is it the most, you know, um, beautiful aroma smelling flower rose, the, the deepest red, mm. you know, so I have yes. them really describe what these gifts are that they have to give. And when they see, you know, when, when we're able to visualize it in that way, then are you just going to give that away to just anybody? That's you know, good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so mm -hmm. that's what I'm thinking about. Like, Hmm, you know, it's, it, it's important, you know, yes. to, it's important to know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. equally as important to know who you're willing to give that to and it goes back to what you were saying we have to make time for ourselves mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. we get to know ourselves better you know and, and and invest in in that time we can identify all of those things yes yes I like the value in that mm -hmm. and in this this appraisal of the self-appraisal if you if you see yourself as valuable as that that um very expensive item whatever that is mm -hmm. then you you would do so much to take care of it. you wouldn't let just anybody touch it it would be in a safe place you, you know mm -hmm. you put boundaries around it you cushion it and all those right. things and one of the things i think you're highlighting for me is the conversation with women around their value mm -hmm. because so many women see themselves as still broken and in some way disturbed or dysfunctional because of family histories mm -hmm. um and so it's it's one of the things we're working on is helping them to see and assess their own value mm -hmm. um because of some hurtful experiences in their life they see themselves mm -hmm. as less than valuable less appealing 
less attractive to mm. to the other sex mm -hmm. um and therefore they don't think they deserve um mm. the, the better um candidates the better quality of person out there to, to love them so they almost take themselves out of the running of the race before they even get in there and get to be um chosen you know mm -hmm. they they see mm -hmm. themselves in some way defective and so one of the things i say to them is if there's something you don't like about yourself change it i mean clearly if weight is an issue and you can control it then we need to work on that um, if weight's not an issue and maybe it's something else, you can't change height. So you can't get taller. You can't get shorter. So there's some things that you can't control, but what are those things that we can control that, uh, that you feel like you don't like about yourself? Um, so that you don't give off the energy of feeling less than when you meet people. And because sometimes that less attractive part you put out there, you don't even realize you're doing that. You, 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 um, Say things about yourself that are um, less attractive when you're dating people and it's a turn off. I tell them it's a turn off to say to guys like, you know, I know I need to lose weight, but you must like heavy girls or, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. clearly if y'all shared pictures, he knew who you, who you were. He was attracted to you're putting yourself in those positions again, self-sabotage. It goes back right. to that. And they have to make that connection about what am I missing that I continue to uh, it's like this empty well that I, I keep trying to fill up with stuff, stuff, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. stuff I buy usually um, mm -hmm. to fulfill my emotional needs. And and sometimes that's our therapy session is, well, what is an emotional need? What does it look like? Where is it coming from? We go back to the basics sometimes, Dr. Melly. And we have to, you know, because I, I you know, I'm I'm hearing you speak and you know, you're mentioning all of these perce perceived because they are perceived, right? It's yes. how we view ourselves and, yep. you know, the, the perception of what is attractive, what isn't attractive. I mean, we can talk all day about like what society, you know, perceive, uh, gener puts out there on social mm -hmm. media as what is attractive. Mm -hmm. And then there also is, you know, the that's that's the outside that's the macro right mm -hmm. and then there's also the micro which is even within your own you know like culture or ethnicity um and what is perceived as attractive too because i mean mm -hmm. we can we we can point to anything it can be hair texture mm -hmm. skin color mm -hmm. height weight how voluptuous versus un yes. you know not so voluptuous i haven't you know whatever it is um and you're right you know it's a lot of how we grow up you know how we are raised how we are um what are the 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 compliments or or that that we're given as you know when we are young as well as what we're hearing you know outside of those family circles um, and, and how it's being perceived, you know, um, cause I can easily think, you know, of in, 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 in Spanish, um, it's, uh, um, calladita, mm. calladita es mas bonita, meaning, um, you're prettier when you're quiet. Wow. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, um, you know, so little things that can really maybe, you know, as caregivers, as parents, you know, we don't think about it too much. Maybe we're just wanting the child to sit down (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, calm down for a few minutes, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's the way that we say it and we don't realize how is that child interpreting that? Oh, so if I'm not, if I'm like, bubbly and you know like to sing at the top of my lungs and that's not you know then I'm uh, that means that I'm not attractive right you know um so there's yeah like you said a lot of uh layers mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. to how mm-hmm. we how we define it for ourselves mm-hmm. how we perceive it too absolutely absolutely yeah. I like that. I like that definition or um, the the con- construct around defining ourselves by other people's standards. So many people have so many expectations for for women of color, particularly. And I'll speak to the black women that I work with. Is that a lot of their life has been meeting the expectations of other people, mm. and and part of that is now turned into them taking care of everybody else at the expense of themselves. So now they're not just working, they're also taking care of not just their family, but also maybe um, they are often the caregiver for mm-hmm. their aging parents, mm-hmm. or they're taking care of a sibling's children. Like it's just this whole extended network and they feel obligated and indebted yeah. to take care of the family. Yeah, I think that's very um, in sync with the way that it is also generally speaking with the Latino family system too, you know, that um, it isn't very uncommon for uh, adult children to take care of their parents, especially when the parents, let's say, um, did medial jobs where, you know, may, you know, if, especially if the parent is immigrant parent, you know, and so they didn't maybe have like the social securities or uh, or, or, or pay into it per se. And so mm-hmm. their, their, the, how they got paid was cash, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when they get to a certain age, they can't, they can't rely on social security to give them at least a little something. Right. Um, they literally are dependent on now their adult children to mm. help take care of them, you know, and, mm. and, yeah, it, it can be very difficult um, because you're right, you know, it's taking care of themselves and then having to take care of um, their elderly parents. And, you know, so it's all enmeshed, you know, yes. and um, and so the idea of like living this American dream is, is, is kind of mm. skewed. Like what, what does that really wow. <laughs> mean, you know, um, <laughs> because it's so, um, there's such a perception of like independence, you know, like you mm. go and you live your life and, you know, we're going to grow old, retire and I don't know what you do in retirement. Mm-hmm, you travel, mm-hmm, <laughs> play golf mm-hmm. all day. I don't know, mm-hmm, but that's mm-hmm. not the reality for a lot yeah, of nope. you know mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. individuals in the BIPOC community. Nope. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to switch gears because I do follow you on social media. 
Okay, yay. <laughs> I hope I followed you back. I have to make you sure do, I did. You do, you do okay, follow okay. me. I did see okay. that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I am noticing is you have these retreats or yeah. you're preparing. So let's talk a little bit about that. What what, what are you offering? <laughs> so this is good because as a result of being in, in so many of the coaching, awesome, awesome coaching with Dr. TK, as well as with you, one of the things that I have wanted to do is really move from a lot of the one-to-one to the one-to-many. Mm -hmm. And I decided that one of the ways I could do that you know, I could do speaking and I do do speaking and, and, and I write, you know, I've written a book and I'll do write more books, but I was like, how do I take what I would offer to many women in terms of, excuse my neighbor's dogs. Um, how do I take what I could offer one-to-one -one and give it to more people? That was really why I wrote my first book. I knew I couldn't treat everybody, but the information I could at least put in a book, everybody could get the book. And I thought about how, important wellness is and well-being in that black women deprioritize themselves so much mm -hmm. and I said wow I think that I want to move into the wellness space as well so meaning well-being could be things like around apps and retreats and um, other kind of live events that look at the body holistically mm -hmm. and I knew that a retreat would be a way to one get them out of their environment into a space where they could only focus on themselves and so I created the first one to be a very local retreat. But my dream, Dr. Millie, is to go abroad and do these, um, you know, on an island. Like, I would uh -huh. love to do these international retreats. That's my goal for 2025 uh -huh. is to take them out of the country, including myself. Uh -huh. But the first one is a day retreat. It's a five-hour retreat. And it's an intensive. And so I want us to do a lot of work in that small amount of time. But it's a retreat that I'm retreat. I want you to retreat away from mm -hmm. everything that you normally would do in a week's time. And that is taking my kids to their baseball games, being a soccer mom, cooking for the family, work 14, 15 hours a day, and just get away and say, what is it that I need to do to begin to heal myself? Mm -hmm. And I want them to walk away with this blueprint that when I leave this retreat, I want to meet other women like myself, I want to be able to walk away with some tools and then I want accountability and that's my aim. And so our mm -hmm. first one is in June oh, and, okay. um, and I kept it really small to 20 women because I wanted it, everyone to get as much individual attention as they could, but yet be in an intimate space where they could also create connections. Mm -hmm. And so we found a space in, in Philadelphia, in the city of Philadelphia it's an opportunity for people to also, if they wanted to come to Philly and they hadn't had a reason to come, come to Philly after the retreat, spend the day somewhere and do some other things. But it is a time for us to come together and really work on your wellness and take a look at like all my things, all the goals of my life. What am, what's getting in my way? What's getting in the way of me being my most authentic, my most well self is my goal. That sounds so lovely. Like, <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> I wish more people felt that way. I think that there's an investment in this, right? Of and one course. of the things I say about us, because we invest in coaching mm -hmm. and we invest yes, in we it do. because we see the ROI on this. We know the return on investment that what we put in now is going to give us years of return in terms of our mindset, in terms mm -hmm. of our business. And mm -hmm. I want women to see, see the same thing about the retreat, but sometimes because it's not 
something that they could see on a shelf and say, oh, it's $16.99 or it's $14.99. I'll buy this lipstick or this makeup and I'll just, you know, mask all mm. of the things I'm going on. You have to think, they have to think big that this is an investment. It's more than I normally would pay, but wow, look at everything I'm going to get for this. You get a person who's yeah. had years of experience in providing care to Black women. You're getting time and food and rest and restoration and a retreat space. You're getting mm -hmm. all of this stuff. And so to me, it's an under ticket price. But I think that people who aren't used to putting money on them and taking care of other right. people have to go through this battle in their mind around, I deserve this, but uh, I have to do this for my family. So it was, you know, for me, uh, an intentional, really intentional um, choice to try to make it a little bit away um, because I want people to be away from their phones and family. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I hope that that's exactly how people experience it. And I'm sure they will, you know, it, you know, as I'm hearing you speak, yes, it's, it's an investment, but anything that we want to do for ourselves. I mean, self-care is an investment, mm. even taking those 30 seconds away from your computer, or whatever, you know, is an investment in yourself. And, and that's a free investment, yes. you know, but when it comes to, you know, that, that internal healing to um, working through our, our, our internal conflicts, you know, mm -hmm. of like, what we just talked about the imbalances and work mm. and and life you know the 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 internal conflicts of what we perceive as attractive and unattractive and where we stand you know um or where we are on that spectrum that deserves an investment you know um nothing is for free i mean you could you know even even insurance you have to pay into that um, or, and even if it is free, you have to give something up. Usually it's information about yourself. Right. Um, so there's, you know, I think you're right, you know, uh, within the, the black and brown community, we do think from a mindset of scarcity, um, you know, everything, uh, and, and we may have it, you know, we may have the financial, means for it but because we're in a in a in a mindset of scarcity um that dollar amount may seem like a lot um but we don't question it when we go and buy a chanel purse we don't question it you know when we want to look really cute and go out on that date that later on we feel <laughs> frustrated about because it didn't go well exactly that is my point exactly when you see people and how they present themselves and where they put their money when they tell you where they put their money and you're thinking wow but what about if you transfer that same level of importance to you that's a hard mindset shift you are so right about that <laughs> yeah yeah and I think the the reality is that the you know what you are offering Dr. Angela is an investment with a really high return because it, it's a gift that one gives themselves that continues to give, you know, it's time with, you know, other women, it sounds that um, are all wanting and needing the same things. It's a, a, where women that can, you know, um, 
that that can pour love onto one another and have a sense of like respite from the day to day. Um, you know, so um, I, by the time this uh, specific episode airs, it'll be in in July for um, you know the the month of July, the uh, the BIPOC. Um, mental health awareness or um, uh, month. Um, but, you know, um, I think that it's still valuable information. Um, and so how can they learn more about you? Where can they find you? Sure. Thank you so much for um, inviting me to offer that. So I'm primarily showing up in the space on Instagram at Dr. Angela Clack Speaks. We have a really great website, www.clackassociates.com. I am also on the LinkedIn space under Angela Clack. And then I have Facebook at Clack Angela. So we're everywhere, but I probably spend the most of the space in terms of um, doing a few lives. It's probably going to be more IG and uh, Facebook. Okay. And then you mentioned having a book. What's yes. the name of your book? So in 2018, I published a book and it was called Women of Color Talk, Psychological Narratives on Trauma and Depression. Mm. Um, it is a book that is in reprint as we speak because it had been out of reprint during the pandemic because the publisher had shut down. Oh. So as they're opening back up, I'm now getting it reprinted so that I can have more copies. Nice. And, um, and, and this is a book that will be available on Amazon once it's. Yes. And okay. that's where it was. And so when people look for it, it keeps mm -hmm. saying out of print, out of print, because I'm needing to get the publisher on board with getting my um, books reprinted. Okay. Okay. So, and then hopefully you'll keep us posted on that on your social media. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Well, Dr. Clark, I am so happy that you made this time to, you know, you so sit much. down with me virtually <laughs> and have a conversation. I hope that we can do it again sometime soon. Um, and for all of you that are listening in who tuned in for this amazing episode with Dr. Clark. I hope that you were able to receive lots of golden nuggets that you go and follow Dr. Clark. All of her information will be on our show notes as well. Um, thank you again, Dr. Clark. Um, and to all of you, wishing you mucha, mucha, mucha buena vibra. You have just listened to an episode with Dr. Ortiz in Buena Vibra. I hope you enjoyed this episode and subscribe. Join me next week, and until then, sending you off with Buena Vibra. Mm -hmm.